Welcome to Block Rockets Expert Talk, the podcast where we will interview industry experts, thought leaders and interesting figures from around the world about blockchain technology and its adoption. My name is Sagar and I'm investment manager of Block Rockets. We are one of the leading investor for early stage blockchain startups in Germany. As a part of our program, we invest up to 500,000 euro in pre-seed and seed blockchain startups. We are looking for the next big thing in the blockchain space. So if you know someone or if you think you are working on something exciting then feel free to apply to our website. In our episode today I would like to introduce you to Jonathan Hookstable, co-founder of Linkpool, the leading provider in Chainlink node services and creators of the Chainlink market. His mantra for the automation is speed, reliability and reuse. Linkpool is an expansion of the Chainlink functionality by providing a trustless staking mechanism for Chainlink oracles. They provide an on-chain mechanisms for allowing aggregation of oracles into a single owner-based contract and user-informed staking mechanisms and the fair distribution of tokens to staker within any given node and pool. The Linkpool managed service will be a software as a service platform consisting of a highly scalable high availability network of on-chain oracles. Hello Johnny how are you doing I'm good thank you how are you Yeah I'm pretty good um so uh without wasting time let's let's start about uh, like uh, discussing your journey into blockchain and uh, if you can tell us few words about you and um, the story behind linkpool would be great Yeah sure thing um so I'm Johnny I'm the the founder of linkpool um linkpool really is a company that lowers the barrier of entry for developers retail and enterprise to get into the chainlink ecosystem you know we've been building on top of chainlink since 2017 really just trying to drive the ecosystem forward interesting uh, i mean you you just mentioned like you're building on chainlink since 2017 so that means like uh, you know the projects quite early so were you also in touch with the sergey during the early days of chainlink in 2017 or what is the story yeah. if you can share with us sure um so good question uh, not that early um i used to speak to the team briefly um there was a couple of questions that they used to field in the in the early days about some like devops related things um but mostly started uh talking to the team in 2018 the the event that really kicked it off for me was when i met um steven sergey in uh, berlin for the web3 conference back in 2018 um just got talking then and i suppose that sort of kicked everything off and was the so the stepping stone for me eventually starting to work at Chainlink as well in 2018 it was a good time it feels like a a lifetime away though now like four yes. years ago yeah interesting so so uh, johnny uh, what is your story uh, going like full time 100% in web3 uh, or like a blockchain space uh... yeah yeah i mean for me it was you know a pretty normal story um was into crypto early on you know bought some bitcoin like back in 2014 spent it since though and really got into crypto as a, a retail investor in you know early 2017 found chainlink back in the early days um did smart contract development in my own time i was picking up and learning solidity um you know once i got into chainlink i sort of started working on linkpool as a bedroom project it you know with talked about it publicly and it just ended up getting traction and it all went from there really the rest is a uh, quite a bit of a blur 
so almost like eight years in the space right so what do you see yeah but right i only like, I, yeah. I only really got in like properly involved um in 2017 um it was just i was um still working at a, a company called bae then so it did a lot of um like different consultancy work in it and you know i was just getting my lunch and someone mentioned crypto to me while i was eating and i just got into it again and you know it, it went from there really interesting uh but you can see like how how far we came ahead uh i mean i started like in 2016 as you mentioned not 100 percent, but i i'm in like uh space 100 percent since 2020 uh but um do you see any differentiation between like uh like 2017 18 the how like like what's the people's opinion change over the time over the whole industry and now we are now i think have we made it already to the mainstream or we are not there yet um I'd say it's certainly getting more there. Um, the difference between like 2017 and now, um, you know, a lot of you know the the markets and everything back then was driven on pure speculation, especially you know in the Ethereum ecosystem. You know, you went through the ICO boom. You you saw projects talking about weird, weird and wonderful roadmaps, and there was going to you know promise everything under the sun. Um, there wasn't really anything tangible back then. And, you know, compared to sort of the, the DeFi sort of craze that really kicked off in, in 2019, um, you know, a lot of the, the ecosystem and what we're doing now, um, even with the, the different chains, um, a lot of it is that, uh, tangible and actually provides a lot of real use case, which for me is the main difference. So let's let's go a little bit deep in uh, technical side. Uh, though we'll keep sure. it like overview because our viewers are most of the corporate side and uh, like most business side. Um, but still, it's always good to touch base a little bit on the technical side for the basic information. So, what was your reaction when you heard about like first time about the word like smart contract and what influence can it play over the time in all the industry like weather data or like uh, financial side or climate change? data provider um for me I, I remember first um so i was digging through like the ethereum docs and i was looking at some examples of smart contracts um and i remember just trying to wrap wrap my head around it at the time it was some like new concepts in terms of um you know like sending money and, and handling money in smart contracts um sort of understood the premise but for me, the, the light bulb moment was really, um, I remember this, I was sat working on um, a basic tutorial. I think it was like on the truffle docs where you deploy like a, a voting contract or something like that. And I deployed it to testnet and then saw it and interact with it. And that's sort of, for me, it was like the light bulb moment. Um, and I just kept on like building and building. It was tough back then though. The, um, you know, as far as the developer ecosystem goes, there wasn't, much there in terms of tooling support people to ask questions to it was you know that sort of environment where you'd google something and you didn't have a stack overflow question and answer <laughs> to like rely on are you doing you know like normal engineering so it was funny it was it was tough to debug but um yeah it was um a really cool concept and, and new which was what was exciting interesting i mean uh, so far my best teacher is uh Google in terms of like yep. whenever I'm looking for any kind of information. So if you can uh, perfectly 
utilize your time to look after on Google, then it's, I think, the best teacher can ever be. But also there are lots of uh, uh, crap, or I would say like lots of mixed information available on the Google, and it's the same story with the data provider, right? Um, you need to be really careful with the, which kind of data you provide. So, I mean, you guys are running the Node uh, on Chainlink uh, ecosystem yep. since the day one, and um, it's also like a no-brainer that there are lots of demands out there for the data, but mm -hmm. some sort of you need to be careful in terms of like providing the data, whether it is, um, good data or bad data. So what sort of uh, like a good police, uh, bad cop, good cop uh, role you guys play when it comes to providing data to the third party? Yeah, it's a good question. At least, um, you know, in terms of production and if we think about the price feeds, right, secure, you know, masses amount of, amount of money. The, um, I suppose the pool of data providers and the ecosystem there is quite uh, solidified. Um, most of, you know, from a node operator point of view, we'll add jobs and the data providers we use come from a pool that is shared amongst all of the node operators within a given feed and they're distributed. Um, you know, the, the good and bad data providers is, is quite well defined. So there's like data quality metrics that are gathered around this sort of thing. And in, in terms of actually measuring quality and sort of reacting to any potential incidents that might happen, a lot of it is based on um, you know what you'd say a, a like a deviation threshold. So basically, how far away um, a certain data provider uh, strays away from the medium, and that sort of core concept um, provides a lot of data quality, and it's, it's easy to measure. Same with like tick rate of updating, um, like data feeds and, and stuff like that. Um, for data providers, and you know what we do as part of Linkpool for some of the all our enterprise clients. Um, really, it's a, um, I suppose, a, a back and forth process with the, um, like with the client themselves. You know, we'll work through requirements in terms of their API, think about how their data can best be suited uh, to be used on the blockchain, and then pair that up with different data providers as well. A good example of that is um, sports data. So we've been seeing a, an uptick in demand for sports data to create sports betting markets, basically on different chains. Um, you know, some of the lower fee chains have um, created the demand for that because it just makes that use case a lot cheaper. Um, so for us, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we work with different data providers and then essentially build adapters and interfaces to in interact with multiple data providers to provide an aggregate for what is, um, you know, a true or false answer in terms of, who won this game or like the, the score of a, um, a certain match. So um, it's hard. It's always an ongoing process. And in terms of like data quality and how we measure it and how we select clients going forward, it always evolves. And um, at least from us, it's a, a great position to be in because the, the demand as well, a lot of people, um, especially over the past year, there's just a lot of uptick and in, in interest in uh, companies actually wanting to get involved in Chainlink and making their data available on chain which is great. Yes, I mean, almost like more than 800, 700 plus projects using the Chainlink uh, price reference data as an Oracle, right? On top of yeah. that, like I think the 70 to 80% of DeFi space is running on Chainlink. But do we have to, do we find already the ready to, like a market fit product or not it? Or are we still in the building mode? Um, it's definitely still in the building mode. Um, I'd at least say the bootstrap phase is completed. 
you know, like you you mentioned, there's the majority of DeFi, um, like the foundation of it is built on top of Chainlink. Um, you know, it's a, a great and validating position to be in because I was, it, before Mainnet was launched with Chainlink, it, you know, for me and probably yourself as well, because you've been um, in the space for a long time, it felt like a lifetime before Chainlink actually went live on Mainnet. You were sort of talking about the value and what it can provide, but it, you know none of it was put into practice. But you know, skip ahead um, three years, and um, the majority of DeFi uses it. You know, um, there's definitely a lot of a lot more use cases to be tapped into. Um, you know, the upcoming CCIP, um, you're seeing a huge increase in demand for VRF. Um, direct request as well, which is more sort of ad hoc and one-time requests for different uh, data sources, which is more a, a more ideal use case for like sports betting markets, um, and even general compute as well. Um, you'll see probably a lot of projects, um, especially when CCIP is released, a lot more projects wanting to use um, Chainlink Oracles not just for external data but also compute. So that could be a a mix of things, whether it's signing transactions, running certain like computation processes that are too expensive to do uh, directly on chain. Um, and that's quite an exciting concept. So, so I think you're really uh, uh, touch based on a really important topic, which is CCIP cross-chain integration, mm -hmm. right? Interoperability protocol. So what do you mean by CCIP if, if somebody never heard of it? If you can little bit simplify the term, like how it will, I mean, work. You already mentioned in the last two sentences, but maybe we can yeah. talk on a high level, like what is CCIP mm -hmm. and what sort of role they play in upcoming days in the whole industry? Yep. So the high level CCIP is the... Um, the use of Chainlink to connect multiple blockchains together um, and how that connection is used um, can be for, a, I suppose, an infinite amount of different use cases, whether that's token bridges um, sending different messages between different chains, which will kick off like contract events, um, even doing um, sort of Chainlink native functions as um, having Chainlink oracles operate DEXs. Oh, yeah within the DON itself, which is quite interesting. Um, but I think CCIP, similar to like DeFi and um, you know, how we've seen that ecosystem grow and sort of evolve over time, you know, the, the basic sort of applications that I can think of and speculate um, that's going to be built in CCIP will probably um, drastically evolve over time. Um, it's really going to open the door in terms of how different blockchains can fit together. It will solve a fundamental problem of token bridging, um, uh, help uh, blockchains like Avalanche with its subnets, the, the communication between layer twos. It's gonna really solve a um, critical problem with the ecosystem that should blow um, and well, sort of um, greatly expand how it can be used and how composable um, like different applications will be. Oh, like a Vitalik, um, I think uh, just like one week before the wormhole fishing attack, uh, Vitalik has to tweet, uh, he's not really bullish on uh, like uh, interoperability, right, on the different chain yep. uh, because of uh, there are lots of, I mean, I mean, then the wormhole was like a practical example of that. I and mean, what sort of you think like CCIP will help uh, remove this kind of uh, fishing attacks in the in, in near future? Sure, I mean, you can compare this to like price feeds and chain link use within DeFi. Um, 
you know, before Chainlink was used as the majority, and if you think back to like 2019 um, oracles, um, like different DeFi projects built their own oracles, like Compound only recently moved, um, Synthetics, um, like Aave, for example, everyone built their own oracle. So everyone's sort of reinventing the wheel. You know, when, you, when you're in that situation, there's no common standard. And because of that, there's a lot more potential for those projects to get attacked because the weak point of that DeFi project is the Oracle system. Um, and any, you know, as people know, as any catastrophic event there, and if you manipulate the Oracle system, then that can cause like huge liquidations and essentially collapse a project. Um, Chainlink could solve that problem by creating a, a very high quality standard that all projects can use that is impenetrable to attacks and manipulations. So if you take that same concept and then apply it to CCIP, you know, we're in a position, at least at the minute, with token bridges and like you mentioned with wormhole getting attacked. Um, and another bridge recently that I can't remember the name of. Um, when CCIP is launched and you start seeing reference implementations of token bridges, then suddenly, again, you've got the new standard, which will be secure, um, built by an incredibly smart and well-thought-out team that will implement the new standard of token bridges that can be applied to any blockchain. So it means developers, again, don't have to think about building their own blockchains, um, their own bridges. They can just use CCIP, and the problem is solved, and you've got that inherited security there. Um, again, you know, like Chainlink is... An infrastructure product it's it's middleware it aims to make developers lives easier by essentially giving them giving them the tools to be able to build the products that they need to without needing to build the foundations for those products to be built on so you also mentioned about uh, layer two solutions and uh, i think whole Chainlink uh, community like uh, those who love the oracle and smart contracts were heavily waiting for launch of arbitrum right and yep. I think it's also like a no-brainer. Everyone knows that uh, every single transaction costs lots of money on Ethereum, right? And and there is a reason like a Polygon, Arbitrum, uh, and uh, Optimism are uh, these all L2 uh, solutions become quite massively famous. I mean, is it true that like slowly, slowly, like a whole network uh, is shifting or Arbitrum or any layer two to make like a Chainlink Oracles profitable or like more more like uh, user friendly? what's what's the like uh, relationship between like here like between arbitrum and chainlink because i think the chainlink team have also like heavily supported arbitrum vocally and like uh, yep. financially right i mean it's also available everywhere but what sort of role i mean what is the relationship between the arbitrum and chainlink here um i mean i can't really talk specifics there but um it sort of goes back to the point i was making around general compute um you know one of the major stepping stones that need to happen on layer twos is the decentralization of the sequences so that, you know, um, submit and order the transactions. Um, that sort of application is, is perfect for Chainlink Oracles to do when, you know, that, that jump happens. Whether that's actually going to happen, I don't know. But in terms of use cases for um, Chainlink Oracles performing general compute, that would help layer twos. You know, that's a, it's an ideal use case. You know, for us, like it, as part of Linkpool and all the, the other node operators, they run already on Arbitrum and Optimism. They already facilitate all the prize feeds and like the different requests that happen on there. So if you're thinking of um, 
essentially you know rolling out your sequencer and and trying to get as many people involved and, and good quality node operators then you know for me it makes sense that the first sort of team you'll look to is the the chain link node operators because they already run very high quality infrastructure that facilitate uh, services on those networks interesting uh, uh johnny uh how about like we talk a little bit about climate change and uh, mm -hmm. also like uh parametric insurance space I mean, I mean, uh, Linkpool been uh, like uh, from the day one, the node operator and the data provider, right? So I'm still trying to understand like how this architecture work when it comes to like, let's say like I'm the consumer and um, the other side is like a provider and you guys are comes in between, right? So how this thing works? I mean, the data is like quite complicated uh, thing, right? Yeah. It's it's not everyone's piece of a uh, cup of coffee that they can easily understand. But how this architecture work like when you are specifically providing data of weather or climate change, for example, or like parametric insurance, how this thing works? I mean, if you can simplify a little bit. Sure. Um, I'm supposed to give a summary. Um, I don't quite know myself, but um, I've thought about this a little bit. Um, and I feel like a, for me, an ideal solution is if you can essentially um, remove the insurance providers and in terms of like providing policies to people whether it's for agricultural insurance um or any types of policies um the 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 premium and essentially the people get paid um the insurance provider are the people who pull their tokens to provide the insurance collateral um and then behind the scenes depending on the type of insurance you'd have a don that would be able to access and um you know like generate like a quote for premiums or like an insurance pol policy based on certain parameters that you can verify um this for me is um like sergey's mentioned this before and he always gives the example of agricultural insurance but um it's an industry that is obviously huge um you know once the tooling is there and there's some good Sort of proof of concepts and examples that people can buy into and for me it's going to be one of those snowball effect sort of moments where you know you start seeing a new primitive pop up and then you know people build on top of it fork it use it um, and everything else but the idea of sort of um, um, like community-backed insurance without a central provider is quite exciting for me and you know the missing piece of the puzzle to do that is chainlink dons and you know the smart contract work and everything else that would build be built on top of it. Interesting. Uh, so moving further, my question to you is like actually we were having a call with Sergey yesterday, uh, and he was mentioning uh, hippie hostels. So because I, I'm sure uh, you you interact with him more than I do. So like um, he actually used to go to Bitcoin meetups, and mm -hmm. it was the best place for him to meet the people right and you can just interact and grab a pizza and drink a beer over them so he's also pushing a uh, meetup things in uh, in chenling community that guys organize meetup across the global and normally chenling community is now massively spread in six continent yep. and it's really interesting time to see like how this whole space is getting more and more traction from consumers and retail people what is your advice when it comes to uh, meet out the people and like uh, networking because i think web3 is all about networking and uh, collaboration what sort of advice you can give to the our listeners and people out there who are just 
started their journey in Web3 space and they want to build, they want to network, collaborate? Yeah. Um, I suppose, you know, the first point is to actually get yourself out there and go to events. Don't have to travel around the world is typically, you know, it's going to be events nearby. It's sort of, um, you know, the whole industry of crypto events is booming. You know, if you're a developer wanting to get into the space, I'd highly recommend the hackathons. Um, you know, there's a lot of money sloshing around in those now. So if you're a budding developer, really go to some of them, um, like work on like building, building up your own skills in your own time and go to hackathons, meet people, you know, set up teams with people that you don't know. And you'll never know, just networking in those kinds of, kinds of um, environments will lead you on to uh, new things. Um, you know, if you're non-technical, you know, it's similar concept, just goes to these events, meet people. You know, for us as, as Linkpool, we're um, drastically sort of going to be scaling over the next couple of years. And part of that is going to be like the business arm of the company, you know, people like administrators to marketers to, you know, like solution architects and um, people who are more like client facing and do operations work. Crypto companies, especially larger ones, are starting to, you know, really hire a lot of non-technical roles. We really need a lot of expertise from sort of more of the traditional space. So if you're non-technical, it doesn't really matter what role you're in. Like if you've got experience in a certain area, go, go to these events, network with people, introduce yourself and just look an opportunity to get into this space. Um, you know, like Chainlink is a company. You know, I remember when I first started working there and, you know, the stand-ups in a day when you'd get on and talk about what you're working on was just a Slack call with like eight people. And now with the engineering arm of the, the company is massive. You've got, you know, scrum of scrums, you've got like scrum teams all working on like completely different things. Like the company is just... Um, exploded in terms people, of right? it. Yeah, like yeah. Almost 20, and 30x in terms of employee rate. Yep, yep. It's just exploded in terms of its size and it's going to carry on doing that. Um, so you can imagine for me, like over the past two years and Chainlink and Linkpool, um, a lot of your time is simply spent on interviews and hiring people and trying to get the best people that you can find. Um, and, you know, it's not all technical people. You don't you don't need to be an, an, an expert in cryptocurrency to be able to start working at places like this. It's all about the appetite and really the attitude and how quickly you can pick, pick things up and how excited you are to actually work in this space. So I just they go 100%. get it. Yep. 100% Johnny. I mean, because like uh, back in days when I started my journey in uh, crypto space, I also wanted to work uh, in, in blockchain space, but that time the opportunity weren't available, right? As it is, mm -hmm. seems now. I mean, it seems like almost like you can find easily job and, and the blockchain culture is quite welcoming. And if you're looking for job, these guys always like, there's always something for you. It's up to you whether you're going to take this uh, and grab the opportunity or not. Because back in 2018, there wasn't like a lots of job opens as in terms of like a, yeah. like a business side, but most of the jobs were open on the dev side. Now you can see like whole massive, like look at the chain link, Polygon and other, some of the companies become bigger and they're like hiring almost every day. Uh, yeah. So that's that's for sure. And for our viewers, uh, Chainlink still have lots of job applications open. So just go to their really website, chain.link, and uh, I'm sure you will find uh, definitely the right position for you guys. Yeah. Um, so that, that whole side as well is, it goes back to your earlier question of adoption. Uh, the reason why companies are starting to scale up like this and get non-technical people is because of real adoption. 
you know, people are starting to use these products. Like a, a foundation has been built by engineers, and now you know because of actual use cases and um, needing to do things like client management and manage accounts and relationships and all that sort of stuff and PM and you know more executive roles like. That is driven by actual real demand, which is only going to keep on ramping up and and growing over the you know the years to come. Perfect, thanks, Johnny, uh, on on quite uh, quite uh, meaningful insight. But what is next for like whole Chainlink ecosystem? Uh, what what do we expect from this year's and onwards? Because I think there's it's it's a purely monopoly that how Chainlink capture all the market, right? Uh, yeah. I'm not saying there's not no room for the other Oracle providers, but you need to have like solid product to capture the market. So now we have like 800 plus integration, quite successful companies who are running like uh, Chainlink node op, uh, like nodes, and um, CCIP coming soon. And so, so what's next in terms of like building? Because we are like 400 people, you have to keep them busy all the time, right? Yep, yeah. um, I'd say at least in the short term, you know the. Um, growth of chains like you know Solana and Terra, like non-EVM chains, um, Chainlink are, you know, is is working to support both of those, and, and you know people have already sort of seen areas of that with going on, like Solana testnet, for example. Um, you know you're going to see CCIP um, coming out at some point this year, which we've already touched on. But in the longer term, and like you talked about with market share, for me it's um, and for a lot of Chainlink, it's all about self-service and building the ecosystem. Like Chainlink cannot continue to be as successful as it is if it if it doesn't keep on adding and building on the tools to allow people to use it in the most efficient way possible. You know, for projects to um, like build new use cases and new ideas and new products on top of Chainlink, it needs companies like Linkpool to provide you know extra platforms, tooling um, like data and everything else for people to actually just get stuck in and actually use Chainlink and drive a large network effect, essentially. You know, over the past couple of years, it's all been about like bootstrapping the network and getting those types of like market share numbers, like the TVS in terms of like total value secured across like DeFi, you know, supporting as many chains as possible and really bootstrapping, um, you know, the, the market share and really, you know, like grabbing hold of it. Um, and, and now it's really about just, I suppose, uh, just expanding on those principles and then really giving um, and expanding Chainlink so anyone can use it as, as easily as possible. Interesting. Uh, thank you so much, Johnny, for for all the insight and for your time. Uh, it was quite quite interactive session. And uh, uh, see you at maybe um, at... DevCon, uh, this time it's happening in person. So I'm really looking forward to meet you in person in New York. It's happening in September, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, SmartCon. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah, be there. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Okay. okay. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Johnny, once again for joining. And uh, yeah, uh, let's build up. Thank you. It's been great. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoy our discussion. Remember to subscribe to our channel to get up to date with the latest news in the blockchain space. Links in the description box below. Please also reach out to us if you are a blockchain startup or know anyone who is looking for funding. Talk soon.